0: Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Climate Ready podcast, bringing you more stories and perspectives on international climate issues. This is Alex Maroner here, joined by my colleague Aaron Gooch.
1: Hey everyone, glad to be with you today. So Alex, on this episode, we're going to dive into some tangible on-the-ground efforts in climate adaptation. It's nice every now and then to gain some perspective on the international work being done in the climate change arena. It seems like we're all too often looking at it from the big picture, doesn't it?
0: I definitely agree. It's easy to get lost in the doom and gloom of climate change. I'm looking forward to this episode where we'll hear an encouraging story about some local and regional work being done to help communities adapt.
1: Stick around to hear from our guest today, joining us all the way from the shadows of the Himalayas in Nepal. You'll learn about the numerous climate change issues affecting this region, as well as a really ingenious project empowering local villages to take action against climate change. Stay tuned!
0: climate-ready podcast is made possible by funding from the World Bank Group. For more on the World Bank and its role in supporting climate adaptation efforts, visit www.worldbank.org. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Neera Shrestha Pradhan, an adaptation specialist at the International Center for Integrated Mountain Development, or ICMOD, a regional learning and knowledge sharing center in the Hindu Kush Himalayas. Neera, welcome to the podcast. It's great
1: to have you on the show. Thank you.
2: Thank you for having me here.
1: Let's start off by having you tell our listeners a bit about yourself and the work that you are doing at the International Center for Integrated Mountain Development.
2: My work, especially here at ISIMODE, is working on disaster risk reduction, especially focusing on community-based management.
0: Climate change is adversely impacting fragile mountain ecosystems in Nepal and the people that depend on those ecosystems for their livelihood. What risks or natural hazards are present in this region that are exacerbated by climate change?
2: It is very important that we have to see how climate change is impacting The mountain ecosystem especially when we are talking about climate change it's the temperature and the precipitation change and that has a major impact like floods flash floods and drought it is also important to look at the glaciers and the glacier lake outburst burst floods and uh, together with that the cumulative impact also it can be linked to the landslides which are equally important and dangerous in the mountain region So when we're talking about the upstream in the uh, uh, high altitude in the mountain, it's mainly the glaciers and the glacier lake outbursts. But when we come down to the plain area, the downstream areas, then it's more like the floods and the flash floods that are mainly important to look into.
1: And do most of the people in Nepal live in that downstream area?
2: Yes, most of the population in Nepal lives in the plain area. Uh, which we we call Tarai region, and that is more vulnerable due to floods and flash floods. And this is the right time we are talking about flash floods because Nepal and our bordering country, India, is now fully uh, flood prone, you know, because of the rainfall in this region.
0: I recently saw a a video about these glacial lake outbursts that you mentioned, and it's, for those who haven't seen it, it's it's fascinating and, and horrifying at the same time to see these types of floods uh, taking place up uh, in higher elevations in the mountains.
2: Yes, it is. It is uh, very dangerous, especially in the mountain range. It's not only in Nepal. When I'm talking about Isimur, we work in eight different countries in this region, uh, starting from Afghanistan, Bhutan, Bangladesh, China, India, Pakistan, Nepal, and Myanmar. And all the mountain range is very vulnerable to this glacial lake outburst floods, especially when you're talking about... Uh, GLOF in Bhutan, GLOF in Nepal, and also some part of India and Pakistan, that it is uh, one of the major disasters in this uh, region.
0: GLOF being G-L-O-F, Glacial Lake Outburst Flood. Yes. We've noticed, Neera, that within the climate community, lately, the term resiliency is a little bit of a a buzzword that can mean different things to different people. So uh, we like to ask our guests, what is your definition for resilience and what role does resilience play in the work that you do?
2: So resilience for me is making yourself prepared for the climate or the extreme events that you will face, you know, in in futures. So here at Issey Mode, resilience, regarding resilience, what we do is we work with the communities to help them prepare themselves to face the climate change or any other socioeconomic changes that they face. I'm saying socioeconomic because at the community level, if you look at it, then it's not only climate change, you know, they have to face climate as well as other changes.
0: That's a great point. Yeah, it's not it's not just climate that you need to prepare for. It's all the other the other uncertainties and socioeconomic factors, the kind of urban development factors or or for these villages, you know, how do they maintain their livelihoods and in the face of an uncertain future.
2: Yeah, and especially in the mountains, if you look at it and the uh, the, uh, the countries that, where we work, the land use change is also one of the major cause and the population dynamics, you know. Uh, it's also uh, the triggering factor is climate change, but also the male members are migrating to other countries for job opportunities. That's where women are left behind, women with children and elderly people increasing their work. So that is also another change that needs to be addressed. But however, if you look at the community level, you will see that the communities are adapting to these changes. What we can do, organizations like ours can do, is help them not to do maladaptation, but build their resilience to deal with uh, uh, these changes and bring the science base to these changes. I think that's where we can contribute.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Neera. The need for adaptation efforts presents an opportunity, but at the same time, it must be handled carefully. Like you said, maladaptation is just as big of a threat as the other drivers of change. Organizations like ICMOD and my organization, AGWA, have an important role to play in leading scientifically robust solutions and adaptation measures to increase the resilience of these communities and regions.
1: So Nira, we wanted to get a little bit more of a grasp of the policy and governance context in Nepal to help us understand how that affects your organization and your latest project. Nepal is a country that faces steep development challenges, and at the same time, it's one of the few countries in the world where climate change is at the top of the list for immediate short-term threats to its population. Unfortunately, these threats are likely going to amplify over time. How are the Nepalese coping with that dynamic? And what is the role for organizations that want to help facilitate that process?
2: Organizations like us, uh, NGOs, INGOs, uh, and other uh, donor agencies and organizations, we are helping actually the government to deal uh, with this uh, a situation and to implement programs that goes to the community. We always put government in the front seat because that's where the sustainability lies, even when the projects uh, uh, phase out at the end, you know. So building the capacity of the government and the communities are very important, and they play an important role for the sustainability and the ownership of these programs in the long run. So the government of Nepal has also come out with different policies and programs. A few of them uh, that I would like to mention here is uh, in 2011, the government of Nepal came out with climate resilient planning for three years, uh, supported by ADB. And then uh, the government is also working together with other donor agencies. Support from the donor agencies on pilot program for climate resilience. We call it PPCR, and this has been impl- this is being implemented in various districts in uh, Nepal. Uh, together with that, the government has also come out with National Adaptation Program of Action (NAPA), and Nepal is one of the country which has worked on local adaptation plan of action LAPA at the local level and has implemented it. So we have also come out with climate change policy. And recently organizations like ours are supporting the government to prepare the national adaptation plans, NAPS. So it is very important that that these documents come out, but it is also important, equally important, to see how these are, is implemented on the ground. So that's where organizations like ours play a major role to support the government to implement these uh, policies into practice. So what does success look
1: like for Nepal?
2: Climate change brings a lot of challenge, but with the challenge, I would say, welcome the opportunities. So we have to look at the opportunities also that uh, come to this to our country in Nepal. We are looking at the development process from climate angle. So climate resilient planning and development is going on. And hopefully in the long run, we will
1: be able to address these challenges. Nepal is a deeply spiritual country. How do people address adaptation from a spiritual perspective, if at all?
2: When we are talking about awareness raising, that's where I think the spiritual leaders and even the local leaders can play a major role. So if it is linked in that perspective to build the awareness of the communities, especially when you go to the villages, so they they are very much religious. And if you link it with the religious leaders to preach climate change, adaptation and how you should be prepared for these activities, then I I think it will go further. And, you know, you can really penetrate those um, vulnerable communities through that.
0: You're working on an adaptation project in the Hindu Kush Himalayas, a community-based flood early warning system, which uses simple technology to monitor river levels and put communities in control of flood information. How does having this flood risk information at the community level influence a community's response to a flood event as opposed to having the system that's managed by regional or national organizations?
2: The the community-based early warning system, which I am working at Mode, is a unique piece of work, I would say here. It is unique because the communities themselves generate the information upstream with the simple instrument that you have mentioned. We have a transmitter and a receiver placed upstream. As the water level rises, the transmitter senses the water level rise and it transmits the information to the receiver, which is kept at a local resident care we call it caretakers house and the caretaker sends the information to the downstream vulnerable communities through a network which is prepared from the project itself and he or she also sends the information to the district disaster management authorities who can send deploy their rescue teams to the respective vulnerable communities and it has been appreciated by the local communities and the local government also. It is because they take the responsibility of uh, the instrument as well as sending the information to the downstream communities. And it is very important because it generates almost real-time information. I am saying almost real-time because as the water level rises in the river upstream, it goes downstream and it gives almost one to one and a half hour lead time for the communities in the vulnerable, vulnerable areas to prepare themselves. However, in this recent flood, just a week back in Nepal, we were able to provide almost seven to eight hours of lead time from Nepal to Indian India side of the communities. So it's almost a local level cross-border uh, initiative that we have successfully carried out this time
0: what are some of the the benefits i think you've already mentioned some of having it run at the community level
2: the major thing is it is kept in the tributaries where you know the, the government systems or the bigger hydromet system networks are not there so in that case it is very important to understand that when we are talking about flash floods it it's not only comes on the main river but also the tributaries are equally vulnerable and the people living in the tributaries are equally vulnerable so it goes in those tributaries where we install the these instruments so that is where you know the niche of this instrument is where the government system where the bigger hydromet system is not there we can implement that at the community level.
0: This project is really a great example of of collaboration um, and coordination between communities and even countries. So transboundary water management is rarely easy, but it is always important. Your program is a positive example of collaboration in the sense that Nepal and India have worked together to share information in order to save lives. You've described the system on the Ratu River as a cross-border upstream downstream interaction. Was this an easy arrangement to set up? Can you tell us a little bit about the process?
2: Talking about water between the countries is always difficult. It's uh, quite political also. So we have to be very careful. And uh, that's where we have to bring the local government from the very beginning. Now, transboundary uh, water cooperation. When we talk about transboundary or when we even think about transboundary, normally people think about it at the national level or at the higher level only here in ratu river i wanted to showcase how transboundary cooperation at the local level at the very small local level between the communities can showcase a very good example and we were able to prove it in this flood it was not so easy we worked with the local government in the both ends of the ratu river in nepal side in mahottari district in Dhanusha district and in the India site in Sitamari district. So we worked with them separately at the beginning, very slowly, slow and steady. And at certain point, we had this interaction on the ground together with the communities. It was, in a way, working with the communities is always easier rather than, you know, at the political level because we found out that People in the Nepal border and the India border, they share so many things together, you know? Not only the river that comes from Nepal to India, but also the family relation. We found out that people are married in those two communities. So that was an easy point for us to enter. That was a good entry point for us. That's where the communities started talking with each other. The caretaker of the instrument started exchanging their... um, phone numbers, mobile numbers, and that's where the bond started, you know, the social bond and it helped us a lot. So in this flood, the recent flood that we had a week back, we did not have to do anything actually. The one meeting at the local level, the stakeholders meeting at the local level and the face-to-face interaction of the local communities, the caretakers, it triggered everything, the people the caretaker upstream in Nepal side in the Ratu River automatically called the downstream uh, caretakers and informed, you know, even if it is in India, doesn't matter, informed that, okay, the water level is rising, be careful. That's how they got almost seven to eight hours of preparedness time. And it helped a lot. We got the information from our partners downstream that they were able to save the cattle, they were able to save women, children, and take them to the safer place. And it really helped a lot. And as she was telling, it was a miracle, you know, never ever it had happened earlier.
0: It's an incredible story.
2: And also an interesting story in Assam, you know, like I would like to mention here is about the instrument, not only sending the information, but because of this instrument, people have, they say that earlier, the two communities upstream and da- downstream, they were not talking with each other because they had nothing common to talk about. But when this instrument was installed upstream, they started talking with each other, you know, and they started asking, OK, what whether the instrument is working or not, how is it working? How is the water level? Then slowly in one year time, We could see the evolution. They even got married with each other. So it's not only the instrument or the information that it is sending at the community level, you know, the most important part is the social bonding that it has brought because of this small instrument that helped
1: a lot. You also mentioned earlier that in many households, men are working overseas, meaning that women play a large role in adaptation and responding to disasters such as these flash floods. Having women in such a role, does this present any cultural or logistical challenges or opportunities for these communities and their ability to adapt?
2: Yes, it is always challenging to bring women up in the front. But in the local level, in the villages, there are some communities which really promote women also to bring them Mm -hmm. in the front. But um, the work, especially when the male members are away they, they go out for they migrate for job, leaving the women behind to take care of children and elderly people. That's where it's a blessing in disguise, I would say, where the women they become more confident they come out and because they know they have to do it. So that's where you know we have to take this opportunity to bring women up front and that has shown good results in assam where we have this uh, women caretaker she when we had a meeting discussion with her she very proudly said earlier no one used to even re- recognize who she was but now when she became the caretaker everyone even the panchayat you know the local government they used to come to her and ask her what is the information about the early warning how is the system working and she felt that she has become very empowered because of this instrument people come to her you know and she has become a very important person in her community so that is how it is very important but not only as a caretaker in ratu river if you uh, if you see the women they say that earlier we had to depend on male members they used to go to the riverside to look watch whether the water level is rising or not now with this instrument we can even do without them, you know, because we know that the instrument will inform us, give us alarm anytime it will give us the early warning and we can be prepared. So with that, the package goes with the preparedness where we help, we train the communities, the women to, uh, to prepare themselves for flood, especially with the go bags, with some biscuits or you know all these uh, things to eat drinking water some medicines so they are prepared during the flood season and the shelter zones the rescue routes help them to go to the shelter place when the if the flood occurs so that is how not only the caretaker but also the community the women in the community feels empowered uh, because of this early warning system.
0: Yeah you've been discussing that beyond the obvious benefits of of these early warning systems and getting people out of harm's way there there are some other very real and tangible social benefits like more gender equity maybe some increased economic prosperity from being able to save things like your livestock and your some of your your crops and your livelihoods due to this system um and even that there is more inter inter village uh social networking and, and even some marriages that have come out of this. are there? Can you talk about, about some of the positive impacts maybe on the social level a little bit more that have you've noticed after implementing this system?
2: In Assam, one of the fishermen told us in the last flood, um, he got the information from the early warning system that the flood is coming. And that one to one and a half hour of lead time, he said, you know, was very critical for him because he was able to save his fingerlings so that after the flood, he was again able to use it. So it he, te- he told us that that one to one and a half hour of time was very critical. It looks as if it is just one hour. What can people do? But it really helped him to save his livelihood. In 2013, in Dihiri in Assam, uh, when the flood occurred in September 2013, our system was able to send the information to the District Disaster Management Authority even before the government system gave the early warning so that the District Disaster Management Authority, they were able to send their rescue team to the Hiri village, and they were able to save lives and life, livestock, especially livestock around $3,300 worth. So when we're talking about $3,300, for some of us, it might look very small. But when you look at it at the community level, when you go to the communities and really assess it, it is quite a lot. And that's where people started believing that this system really works and took the responsibility, especially the caretakers. And we got a lot of requests from the people saying that we also want this system in our village. We were recognized at the global level also where in 2014 we got this UNFCCC's uh, Lighthouse Activity Award, uh, Momentum for Change Award in COP20 in Peru. When we received this global award in 2014, then we started getting lots of demand requests from other organizations, communities and different countries for us to implement this system for the implementation of the system. But we were really cautious because the system was only 20% and 80% was all about communities. How you work with the community, how you deal with them, how you bring them, how you bring the ownership to them. You know, that is very important. And this is what I say, the bottom up approach where the communities are given the major role. And of course they are facing the. Disaster they are facing these extreme events and when the system works well. They really own it.
0: That's great Well, we really appreciate your time Nir. it's a, a very interesting story, and it sounds like a, a wildly successful project so far so I Hope you all keep it up and keep adding adding this capacity and training and technology to to more and more villages um, It sounds like there's a lot of interest being expressed. So hopefully you can keep up with the demand
2: Thank you so much for having me
0: here. Hey, everyone. Thanks for sticking with us. You know, having never been to Nepal myself or that part of the world, I was grateful to learn about what's going on there, both in terms of the climate-related problems they're facing and some of the solutions they've come up with. It sounds like a large part of the population is directly impacted by climate change. They're facing flooding, droughts, and landslides. What I took away from our conversation was this. ICMOD has found their niche in providing tools to help make these vulnerable communities more robust to climate change. We heard about their flood early warning system, but I think the key point came from what Nira said at the very end. The system is only 20% of the solution. The majority of the solution lies in how you work with the communities and bring ownership of these adaptation projects to them. They're the ones facing these extreme events, so let's work with them to provide a more resilient future.
1: We'd like to again thank our guest, Dr. Neera Pradan, for joining us today. You can find out more on the work that she and Icimod are doing by visiting www.icimod.org. Thanks again for joining us, and stay tuned for future episodes of the Climate Ready Podcast.
0: You can find the Climate Ready podcast on iTunes, or check us out on the web at www.aguaguide.org/climate-ready. That's a g w a guide.org/climate-ready. While you're on our website, we'd also love to hear from you, the listeners. Send us your questions or comments, and we'll feature them in our upcoming guest interviews.